Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Thank you all for joining us again for the Need to Know podcast. And we are going to talk about Myanmar today and the situation that we see with the military returning to power in what is being called a coup and wanted to ground truth in what's going on in Myanmar. Uh, to join us, to help us to do that, we have Prashanth Paramiswaran, who is a fellow with the Asia program at the Wilson Center, and also Lucas Myers, who is a program associate with the Asia program. Thank you both for being here. Good to be with you. Thanks. Glad to be here. Prashanth, I think I want to start with you just really to help us with the basics here. What has happened over the last few weeks within Myanmar? Um, you know, there's been a lot made that, they, you know, it seems like here we go again, another military coup in Myanmar. Uh, we've seen this play out before. Is it different from what we've seen in previous military coups or is this something different yeah i, th I think you you kind of summed up the, the big question here with, with the topic so you know essentially what you have is uh a coup is what it's been described as which is a military seizure of power um but essentially what it constitutes is this is a country that has been dominated by the military effectively since its independence uh, for most of its history it's been governed by the military the issue is that from the 2010s essentially you had the military opened up to a civilian government that then led to the NLD and the National League for Democracy and Aung San Suu Kyi, the democracy icon, who won power and came into office. And they had been ruling for the past few years. And after this decade-long experiment uh, with sharing of power with uh, civilian leadership, the military has effectively decided that it wants to take back control. So now the essence of the question is, can the military actually cement its role and will we see a return to a period of direct military rule? Or, I mean, given the protests that we've been seeing over the past few days, is the military actually going to be forced to formulate some kind of power sharing agreement with some sort of mix of civilian governments or authorities or call for elections after taking over for a year, which is what they're saying in rhetoric. We'll see whether they actually do it in practice. So when you talk about this decade-long experiment, how did that go? The, the biggest news story that really has hit United States watchers on Myanmar over the last few years has actually been the Rohingya crisis. So how did this uh, this experiment go? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the essence of it is not very well. Um, and the issue was that um, the understanding was that there would be some avenue for the NLD and Aung San Suu Kyi and her government to actually pursue uh, pretty wide-ranging reforms to democracy, political participation, the economy. And eventually, the military would be a little bit comfortable with the political process and allow for uh, a seeding of its political power. None of that actually happened. So since the time that Aung San Suu Kyi took office, the military was very uncomfortable with how she was behaving, and that seemed to only be getting worse. So the Rohingya crisis 
uh, made it even more of an issue because there, you know, the military retains control of 25% of seats in parliament. It controls all the security ministries. So when you have a major security crisis, it only reinforces the military's control of the country. And as Aung San Suu Kyi tried to do things like change the constitution, move the military to the side. And, you know, the, we had an election last year, late last year, where Aung San Suu Kyi's party won overwhelmingly and the military was embarrassed. So I guess the, the, the takeaway for the military is we tried to share power and we thought we'd do okay, but ended up, we ended up doing quite badly. And so we don't really like how this thing has been going. And the question for the international community is what uh, does the international community do now? Because the reforms that were expected didn't happen. Aung San Suu Kyi, she's been sidelined now and you have a military leadership. And the big question is Aung San Suu Kyi never really came up with a way to bring up the new generation of democracy and civil society leaders as much as people thought she would do. So the big question for Myanmar is not just well, what's gonna happen with the military, but what is the future of the country's democracy and civil society gonna look like beyond Aung San Suu Kyi? Lucas, I wanna to turn to you. What, uh, when, you, when we look at Myanmar in kind of the larger Asia context, they, they have a relationship with China. The United States looks at China's relationship with its neighbors differently than its neighbors look at their relationship with China. So explain to us, I guess, the, the relationship here between China and Myanmar and what China could possibly do or what the United States should expect China to be doing. China and, and Myanmar have a, a long and, and complicated history, you know, with a lot of cross-border uh, violence and, and drug trafficking and, you know, substantial Chinese involvement and investment in the country. This is a complicated issue for Myanmar and for China. However, ultimately, you know, China's main uh, goal in Myanmar is to protect its, its two primary interests. You know, one, maintain internal stability in the country. China doesn't want to see Myanmar destabilize any more than it already has. That would be bad. There could be some you know, negative consequences in China itself, some spillover, refugee crisis, for instance. You know, in two, you got to think of Myanmar on a map in Southeast Asia. It's very geopolitically important. It's the hinge. You know, it borders India, Southeast Asia, the Indian Ocean, and then China through Yunnan province. And in China's strategic thinking, they see Myanmar as playing a role that mitigates what, what they like to call the Malacca Dilemma, uh, where a significant portion of China's oil uh, travels via sea through the Malacca Straits. You know, an, an opponent could potentially blockade this in a time of you know, military conflict or crisis. And so China wants to diversify its access to Indian Ocean oil. And one of the routes is through Myanmar. And so it's currently undergoing billions of dollars worth of investment in infrastructure as part of what it calls the China-Myanmar Economic Corridor or CMEC. You know, and so China wants to see that completed. And over the long term, China is going to act pragmatically. And so I think the United States can expect that China is going to defend its interests. And that, that essentially means they don't want to pressure the Myanmar government or the military too hard. They don't want to see they're going to block sanctions in the United Nations Security Council, most likely uh, to avoid, you know, triggering some sort of destabilization. And they want to maintain friendly ties in order to keep these investments flowing and, and the infrastructure building. Well, you mentioned the UN, but what about some of the other international organizations like the IMF, World Bank, uh, ASEAN? What are what are the, the plays that they are going to be seeing um, when it comes to Myanmar? Well, we shall see with the, you know, the extent of international movement 
on the sanctions issue. You know, right now the U.S. has announced sanctions and several European countries are reportedly considering it. But at the same time, you know, the military government is likely to continue uh, in, to, you know, it's cracked down and, and maintain it, the its power in the country going forward. I don't see them relaxing on that, which could be negative for Myanmar's relationship with international actors. Um, you know, it's kind of complicated at the same time. You know, some of its neighbors uh, may express, you know, concern at the coup and, and view the situation carefully, but they also don't want to uh, join the United States in sanctions necessarily. For instance, ASEAN has had a relatively mixed response. Uh, the Philippines, Cambodia, Thailand, they all expressed uh, their view that this is an internal matter for Myanmar and they don't want to uh, interfere in, in the internal matters, especially Thailand, you know, it, it has a very similar uh, history of military coups. And, and I don't think that they're going to, you know, necessarily come out and criticize or sanction Myanmar in any universe. Uh, even Japan, you know, has expressed some concern that sanctioning Myanmar uh, in, in its military overly, you know, harshly could draw it into China's orbit even further. So this is a complicated issue. And internationally, uh, I think it's going to be somewhat difficult for the U.S. to garner a true coalition uh, beyond its immediate you know, Western allies in, in Europe and, and perhaps like Australia. Yeah, that's interesting, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, when we have issues of foreign aid, if something happens that is declared to be a coup, then that automatically withdraws certain foreign aid and automatically imposes certain things to happen. Uh, and now so now we have sanctions that are going into place. Uh, and usually what we say as Americans is we're we're targeting bad actors we're not targeting the people of a certain country how is that going to play out in myanmar is there a risk of affecting their economy to a point where maybe they maybe it does drive them into the arms of china uh is there a risk there over the long term there is a risk if if myanmar is isolated you know economically and, and internationally it will likely have to turn to china you know for more investment and, and, and support. You know, China's veto is, is very beneficial to the military in the United Nations Security Council. Um, but more broadly, these sanctions could, you know, make Myanmar, you know, less attractive for investment, for instance, in international spaces. However, it's also important to reiterate that the Myanmar military is wary of China itself, and, and they're going to want to pursue alternative investment uh, you know, pathways from other countries such as you know, Japan, Singapore. The military is historically quite wary of China's involvement and their dependence on China, and especially you know, China has allegedly funded uh, ethnic armed organizations in, in Myanmar, and these are things that the military is very concerned about. And so it's a complicated situation internationally, and we'll see. But my, my take over the long term, you know, should Myanmar be isolated, it will lead to greater Chinese involvement and, and influence in the country. Prashanth, what do you see there? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, you know, on, on the one hand, uh, China has shown a propensity to when these, you know, quote unquote, windows of opportunities arise and they see military regimes or, or democratic backsliding, They'll sort of move in and try to capitalize on that by saying, oh, looks like you're very isolated. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to work with us because we don't really care about your political orientation. We'll work with you irrespective of that. Um, but I think the, the other dynamic we're seeing is that once these regimes come into place, they very quickly figure out 
if they put too much of their bets on China, it's not a place where they're going to be able to diversify their economic and foreign policy outcomes. And the other dynamic we're seeing is a lot of these times when these uh, countries, uh, these regimes come to power, Thailand is a perfect example. Uh, we had a regime come in power in 2014, and the, the narrative was they're going to go towards China, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, the problem is they ended up staying a lot longer. And once they ended up staying a lot longer, they realized, well, just engaging China is not enough. We probably have to recalibrate our ties with Western states. We have to look at international organizations and the bigger picture. So I suspect if it is the case that the Myanmar military is interested in a more longer term notion of how it's going to play a role in politics, which I suspect they are, they're going to have to not just uh, talk about China and how they improve ties there. They're going to have to find a way sooner or later to recalibrate relations with Japan, with some of the other Southeast Asian neighbors that are really important, uh, but also, yes, with, with Western countries, um, including the United States, maybe not necessarily with the US government through traditional channels, but they'll have to find a way to diversify their alignments. Because you know, if you look at um, some of the polling, right? So Myanmar elites, there was a, a new finding from the Institute of Southeast Asian Studies, a think tank in Singapore. They polled elites in Myanmar and they asked them, all right, if you had to choose between the United States and China right now, today, what would you do? And unlike some of these other Southeast Asian countries where you see they're hewing towards the United States or they're hewing towards China, interestingly for Myanmar, it was 50-50, right down the middle. Uh, so this is a country which is very used to thinking of itself as a country that doesn't want to choose and wants to try to forge an independent path. We'll have to see whether the military has the same notion relative to the elites and, and the rest of the country. And to the Rohingya question, which we had before, what's the what's the situation for Rohingyas under a military government as opposed to what they've seen previously? Probably not good. Um, I, I, I'm trying to find maybe a, a source of optimism here, but it's very difficult, primarily because the military sees itself fundamentally as the guardian of the country's security. That's what it sees itself as. And in, in its view, you know, it's one of the most competent, one of the largest militaries actually in Southeast Asia. Um, and its experience is primarily in counterinsurgency and just suppressing threats. That's what it does well. And so when it sees the Rohingya, I mean, and this is un an unfortunate reality, right? Whether it's the military or even some elite, some of whom are very educated, they don't even think of the Rohingya as citizens of Myanmar. Um, and this is very unfortunate, right? It's a very blinkered perspective, but nonetheless, it's a perspective that exists. And I think when you have that perception married by seeing uh, this as primarily a security threat, rather than a notion of there's a large group of people within your borders uh, who are essentially homeless and you have to find a situation to actually resolve this, it's very difficult to see that. So under the NLD and Aung San Suu Kyi, there at least was a veneer of having to care about these people and the international reputation and so on and so forth. But if the Myanmar military is thinking about this in terms of being a more sort of, uh, you know, sort of self-reliance and a little bit more isolated from the world and preserving security, I really do worry uh, for the future of the Rohingya. So Myanmar is one of these places that doesn't usually rise in uh, U.S. policy discussions or in the news generally unless something has gone wrong. So for, for experts like you who track this issue, we now have it in the news. We have sanctions, we have executive branch action, possibly legislative action and committee work and things like that that will focus on Myanmar. 
what should the U.S. do? And and trying to uh, forge some path forward. Where what's the role for the U.S. either positively or what we should not do? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. A very hard question. Um, but I, I think a couple couple of things I would say. One is avoiding viewing this principally from the prism of China. And Lucas mentioned this too in his remarks. China has interest in Myanmar, but Myanmar also has a very pragmatic and independent approach in the way it approaches China as well. So thinking about this primarily, this should, as you know, for us as the United States and as Americans, this should fundamentally remind us about the fact that these smaller countries have domestic politics too, and they can change very quickly. That should be the fundamental place that we start with. Then we should move on to talk about how we have supported uh, at times in Southeast Asia, individuals who carry the banner of democracy and human rights. So Anwar Ibrahim in, in Malaysia, for example, Aung San Suu Kyi in Myanmar. Unfortunately, these when we support individuals, these individuals and their political futures can go up and down, and sometimes they may disappoint us. So what we should remember is even though these individuals are good to carry the banner of freedom and democracy and, and human rights, we should also support other people around them and ask the question of how can we support future generations as well so that we don't hew our ideals and uh, U.S. democracy prospects and democracy promotion prospects on one individual or a set of individuals, but rather a broader movement. I would say that's the second thing. And the third thing I would say is this is an administration, the Biden administration is just trying to engage in a lot of policy reviews going on on China, on not to mention COVID, economic recovery. Southeast Asia is barely on the radar screen. I do worry that Myanmar will sort of, uh, I don't want to use the word contaminate, but that that's, you know, essentially the word that comes to mind to sort of, you know, uh, overwhelm all of Southeast Asia policy and be that prism through which the United States views Southeast Asia. I would say focus on Myanmar, react to it. But understand there are other countries in Southeast Asia too, U.S. treaty alliances, Thailand, uh, the Philippines. We have you know, partnerships with Singapore, with Vietnam. Let's also talk about what we're doing in a less reactive basis in a more proactive way. You know, First example that comes to mind, President Rodrigo Duterte is no longer going to be in office in 2022. Uh, what does the Philippine political landscape look like and how do we engage with the next Philippine government that's going to be in power uh, in the next six years. And there are a lot of governments in Southeast Asia that are really anxious for us to engage. If we only focus on Myanmar and sort of go to the ASEAN summits and say, what are each of you doing on, on Myanmar? And let's cobble together a coalition. I suspect we're, we're going to get a very muted reaction from the region. Lucas, I'll give you the last word. If, uh, what, what, what do you want to see? Fundamentally, uh, it's, it, as Prashanth was saying, it's, it's important that the U.S., not view this solely reactively or issue to issue, but approach Myanmar holistically and, and think about the long-term you know, outcome uh, of, or end state in the country that we would like to see. And I think part of that is you know, continuing to promote uh, human rights and, and democracy programs, as well as general you know, development and, and foreign aid uh, initiatives in, in the country. Now, as, as the Biden administration's sanctions announcement specified, these programs will continue. Um, you know, even under sanctions, because they're benefiting the people of Myanmar and, and anything that was related to the, you know, interacting with the government has been suspended. But generally, the U.S. has a long history of supporting, you know, civil rights in, in Myanmar for minor, ethnic minorities, focusing on coalition building, uh, working with youth groups, advocating for, you know, stronger democratization at the local level. 
And, and these kinds of initiatives are actually very beneficial over the long term. They build some of these new leaders that, that Prashant is talking about that, that the U.S. needs to work with and establish relationship, relationships with. You know, going forward, if we want to see a democratized Myanmar, we have to really work at every level. It can't just be, you know, the, at the geopolitical level. It can't only be great power competition. It cannot only be China. It has to be at every level of society. And I think these programs and a focus at the granular local level on issues that impact the lives of uh, the average uh, citizen of Myanmar. These are things that the U.S. should continue doing and, and continue supporting even uh, with this recent coup, which is, which is definitely a setback. But I think over the long term, there is some room for improvement. Well, it's good to know we have you guys tracking it. Uh, uh, we, we know that the Wilson Center is one of those places that uh, is often described as an intellectual candy store where you can go in and you can get so much information. It's great to be able to pull together two experts on Myanmar and be able to talk about this. And of course, we hope to have you back. Prashanth Paramiswaran is a fellow at the Asia program at the Wilson Center and Lucas Myers, program associate at the Wilson Center's Asia program. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.